Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Jamie Rosenberg, Assistant Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. Today, we will be discussing electronic health records, their benefits, their consequences, and working towards a time when interoperability becomes a reality nationwide. More and more, practices around the country are switching from paper-based systems to EHRs. EHRs are increasingly becoming a crucial tool in healthcare, improving communication and facilitating care coordination. However, with these benefits also come challenges and unintended consequences. Today, Dr. Jacob Reeder, CEO of Alliance for Better Health, will be joining us to discuss the current landscape of EHRs. Dr. Reeder implemented his first electronic health record system in early 2000 in a large primary care medical group in Albany, New York, and has since implemented health IT in both inpatient and outpatient settings. In 2006, he started working as a chief medical information officer for Mises Healthcare, a large electronic health record company. In 2010, Mises merged with Allscripts, and Dr. Reeder became the CMIO for Allscripts, where he was responsible for the development of electronic health record products. In 2011, Dr. Reeder left Allscripts and moved to the federal government as a chief medical officer and then deputy national coordinator for health information technology at the office of the national coordinator for health information technology, the federal agency that regulates EHRs. In 2014, Dr. Reeder left the government and since then has been doing work in various domains, most of which still have interaction with health information technology and EHRs. So first off, can you explain the benefits of EHRs and the importance of them in healthcare practices? Sure. So um, what's interesting is that you asked about EHRs, and I'm going to answer about health information technology. Because EHRs, electronic health records, are one instance of health information technology. And in fact, when I was federal government, we changed our language from EHR to health IT. And the reason for that is that um, if you think about a record, right, a a health record, it, it, it invokes the concept of a manila folder sitting in a file cabinet somewhere. Um, So these systems are so much more than records now that we at the federal government and, you know, many other people in the in the health IT community are now no longer describing these things as EHRs um, and more talking about a suite of tools that is, you know, all under the umbrella of health information technology and what that suite of tools can do to improve practice. And so now I'll answer your question about what does it do and how does it make things better. So if you have a suite of tools um, that helps you do the things that one does in practice, Um, one of the first things that one thinks about is that these tools are no longer just passive, um, you know, records, uh, right? They are proactive. So if, for example, I'm going to do something that might either put a patient at risk or forget to do something that um, I need to do, now the system can help me in some way. And so we call that clinical decision support. Um, so a system can offer clinical decision support. So, for example, one of the easiest examples of this is is uh, the prescription for something to which the patient is, is allergic. So, you know, a paper record could never do that. But now that I have an electronic system, I can 
prescribe a medication, and then the system will, if I've captured the information about the patient's allergies, the system can say, hey, don't do that because the patient is allergic to that. Um, here are some alternatives for other things. So now we get into the alternative recommendations. So not only can a system recommend alternatives that, to which the patient uh, might better respond physically, but the patient may better respond financially if the system recommends a less expensive but equally efficient option or equally, equally effective option. So it can provide clinical decision support, financial decision support. The systems can also be proactive um, by looking at a population of patients and saying, hey, it's October and you know, of the 5,000 patients in your practice, these are the 700 who are at high risk for um, you know, something bad happening if they get the flu and therefore please be proactive and go out and you know, find them and get them a flu shot or confirm that they went to get a flu shot at their local pharmacy because that's not possible. So those are, you know, I could keep going for 35, I was going to say minutes, but hours on other virtues of these systems. But those are some examples of why electronic systems, health information technology is better than paper record keeping in, you know, circa 1995. For a lot of practices, it must be a very involved transition. So is there a lot of training involved for those working in the practices who are probably accustomed to paper? Um, so increasingly, the practices are not accustomed to paper as much as they were in the olden days. Um, but I would answer that with uh, a, an enthusiastic yes. There is training required. Um, just as anybody who used to be only driving cars and now drives airplanes requires training, right? These are sophisticated tools that do sophisticated things that are also fairly high risk. And so, you know, the, the airplane metaphor is perhaps overused, but I, I like it in this case because it reminds us that this is a non-trivial set of tasks. You want to understand that your pilot has been trained not only in how to fly, but how to fly this airplane. Um, by the same token, uh, health information technology um, is, is complex there are things that one uh, needs to understand how to do both overall. So I've used many health IT systems. And um, every time I start using a new system, I make sure that I go to training um, so that I understand the nuances of that system um, and I do things well. And I think this is, it, you know, this is to be expected. And an organization that migrates to, to using health information technology um, from paper definitely needs to understand that and needs to make the investment both in time and money um, so that they get the best uh, use out of the system because not doing so would actually compromise patient safety. And of course, that is uh, the most compelling reason uh, that we would want folks to get well-trained. What would you say are some of the best practices for making a successful transition to EHRs? I think the first step when making any significant change in how we practice is to make sure that we understand the reasons for doing things. So uh, when I was at the government, there was uh, the initiation of the Meaningful Use Incentive Program. Um, and so a number of organizations were going into this um, in order to earn uh, incentive dollars from the federal government. I would argue that that was the wrong reason to go about doing this because they were approaching this from a very kind of check the box mentality. 
Um, if we think about the implementation of health information technology uh, into an organization from a patient safety, from a care quality, from a um, efficiency perspective, we, 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 we have the intrinsic motivators to do the right things. And then, of course, we will make the right investments, right? We'll do the right research to make the right uh, purchase decision. We will invest the time and money in training, as we discussed earlier. Um, you know, we'll do all the things right. If we're doing this to check a box and say, yes, I have health information technology in my practice, um, but we're not really uh, making the right uh, investments in, in time and dollars and, and training, um, we're going to make the wrong decisions. And so I think to start, you have to be doing it for the right reason. Beyond there, you need... Um, buy-in from both executives. So if it's a large practice, there needs to be executive leadership involved. There needs to be workflow um, considerations given because sometimes electronifying the paper workflow isn't the right move. Um, so you need to think very carefully about what are our workflows in the practice and how do our workflows best align with uh, use of uh, health information technology. Um, and um, which workflows actually need to change so that we can better accommodate, um, you know, our workflow needs and uh, patient uh, expectations um, as we leverage new information technology. So, for example, you know, in the paper world, we would have people fill out a clipboard when they came into the office. Well, so let's rethink that. And so many practices have looked at the, at the clipboard and they've given folks an electronic clipboard either for a kiosk or a tablet device or something like that. Um, and they're not really asking the question, well, what are we trying to achieve here with this clipboard activity? turns out that the practices that are really doing well are saying, hmm, well, what we wanted to achieve was to capture information directly from the patient before the visit. And the only mechanism they had historically was a piece of paper in the waiting room. But what if the day before, the month before, the week before, you know, there are opportunities for the patient to interact with the practice and share this information through a website, secure website, of course, or through even a chat bot securely um, long before the visit. So we, now that we're using information technology, we can change our framing of the problems to be solved and say, hmm, well, gosh, we don't need to do this in the 10 minutes in the waiting room. We could do this last week or two weeks ago and make it ever so more efficient. Um, and, you know, by the same token, instead of sending a survey after the visit on paper, we could ask them questions by text messaging, uh, or we could um, send them links to a secure website where we can survey them or even just get patient reported outcomes and say, hey, we saw you yesterday for such and such a problem. Are you better? Just asking that simple question improves patient satisfaction, but it also improves patient safety. And it helps us achieve our goals of making sure that we're doing what's right for the patient because maybe they're not better and maybe they need to be seen again or maybe they're really worse and they need to go to the emergency department, but they might not have been proactive in reaching out to call us. So those are some of the things that practices might need to think about if they're making this transition. So a big component of EHRs is interoperability. What have been the biggest barriers to achieving interoperability, and have you seen progress being made in making this a reality? So interoperability is a is a um, it's a big topic um, because we all uh, experience interoperability in our day to day lives when we use our you know ATM cards at different banks or 
Uh, we use credit cards. Um, we see that our you know email systems all communicate with each other, and we say, "Gosh, you know, these systems ought to talk to each other." Darn it, they don't. Um, I would argue, in fact, that in many cases, the systems do a very good job talking to each other. Um, the question is, in what way and, um, you know, to what expectations? So a good example of, of very successful interoperability endeavors uh, is in, in the domain of e-prescribing. So every certified uh, health IT system uh, is certified to uh, perform e-prescribing. Um, there are billions of e-prescriptions that have been filled to date. Um, the paper prescription is now uh, a forgotten event. Um, it's very uncommon for doctors to give patients uh, paper prescriptions now um, because they're all e-prescribed. And so in some, some states like mine, it's almost mandatory for us to send e-prescriptions uh, in New York State. So I have to use the e-prescribing mechanism, um, and that is a, an extraordinary expression of interoperability. Now, having said that, there are um, other domains of interoperability where we've not yet been successful. So, for example, I can't take a record from a, you know, one vendor system and then, you know, electronically send it to that other vendor system and have all of the nuances of, uh, that were expressed in one system. So the patient's problem list, their medication list, maybe their procedure list, those sorts of things immediately populating the, the, those uh, mirror image lists on the other side because the systems are not um, uh, using exactly the same semantics to describe these things. So I, I would argue that some of the challenges, the biggest challenges of interoperability are in fact in the domain of business processes and uh, business models rather than the technical challenges of interoperability. Um, we have... Uh, care delivery organizations in most markets that compete with each other. Um, and we have limited financial incentive for care delivery organizations to share information with each other. Um, so in the absence of real business requirements that align with sharing information, in fact, many in many cases, um, the, the business incentives are against interoperability. So without real business incentive, um, interoperability hasn't occurred um, so significantly as we think that it could. Um, in most regions, there are health information exchanges, which provide the capability for all care delivery organizations to share information um, with each other. Um, but most of these organizations are financially uh, challenged um, because there's not yet a uh, a business motivation for folks to share information. Um, with value-based payment, um, increasingly uh, capturing um, you know, markets, I think we will see increased reasons for organizations to share information, and we will see interoperability um, be much more successful. So have you seen any unintended consequences from all the data that physicians had to collect, such as physician burnout? Sure. Well, this is a, an unfortunate consequence of the electronification of the paper record, right? So now that we have access to all of this information, and in fact, now that in many cases uh, the information is uh, directed at clinicians, we have the proverbial fire hose of data being aimed at doctors and other care providers, um, and it's just too much. So it's hard to filter the information that we're getting 
you know, what, what is it that's most important, most relevant um, to me? Uh, it's, it's hard to get that. So an unintended con- consequence is that sometimes folks kind of put, a, put up their hands and say, gosh, you know, I can't take it anymore. I don't want that data. So, you know, back to your interoperability question, um, sometimes they decline connections and interoperability connections because they don't want responsibility for the data that, you know, may be out there. Other unintended consequences have to do with patient safety. Um, you know, when, when systems are not quite as well designed as we'd like them to be, and we know that that's the case for, for every system, not just uh, health information technology, um, people make mistakes. Have you ever um, sent someone a wrong email because Microsoft Outlook auto-completed the wrong person? Um, I won't put you on the spot, but I'll, I'll volunteer that I have. And when I do this at conferences, most people raise their hand. So now imagine that you've auto-completed a medication or a dose has been automatically selected for you. Um, these are safe, patient safety risks that come with the territory. So I would argue it's possible that information technology has introduced patient safety risks, certainly has introduced some efficiency risks. But when you balance this against the overall positive value that these systems have added to care delivery organizations, I would say net-net, these things are vastly safer than paper, um, vastly more efficient than paper. Um, But sure, there have also been some unintended consequences. And this is how we learn every day, and the systems, you know, the developers of the systems and the implementers of the systems both need to think carefully about how to do things well so that unintended consequences are understood, acted upon, and then obviously mitigated. Are there concerns over cybersecurity breaches? Absolutely. So, you know, cybersecurity is, a, is an umbrella term for making sure that our systems are safe from predators, hackers, et cetera. And uh, health IT systems, like every other system, are potentially vulnerable to these kinds of attacks. And we've seen this in the news as recently as this week. There was a a hospital in in upstate New York that uh, was hacked and, you know, had ransomware attacks um, applied. And so this happens all the time now. And I think at uh, HHS, there are uh, weekly bulletins about how uh, organizations can and should uh, protect themselves um, against cybersecurity attacks. Um, and I think for the most part, like every other industry, um, there have been some high points where you know uh, organizations are, are very careful and um, have protected themselves against these things. And then, of course, some low points where organizations have been penetrated and unfortunately, um, you know, patient data is exposed um, and or systems are taken down by hackers who are demanding ransom. These are things that folks need to be aware of. But awareness and preparedness doesn't mean that we should, should protect ourselves by avoiding health information technology altogether, right? Again, I think, in, as I described in the context of, of safety, um, the risks are certainly risk with, worth the rewards. Um, we need these systems. They've become an essential part of our care delivery infrastructure, and we just need to be thoughtful and careful about how we implement the systems. Going through um, HIPAA security risk assessments annually, as is required by HIPAA, um, carefully reviewing all of our systems and we know that the, the most significant 
um, entry point for all hackers is, in, in fact, humans. Um, so hackers often get in by people either not being careful about selecting uh, secure passwords or clicking on, on links in so-called phishing attacks that uh, subject an organization to uh, viruses and other hackers. So is there anything we haven't talked about that you wanted to mention? Well, I, so we haven't talked about innovation. And I think innovation is an important part of um, both how we got here and how we will get to where we need to get to beyond where we are. This industry, health information technology, and within that, electronic health records, is a very new industry. So if we think about how long we've been driving cars, how long we've been watching televisions, how long we've been even using computers, um, this industry is barely 20 years old. And so as we watch this industry further innovate, um, I think it's important for every organization, even very small ones, even very conservative ones, to, to um, make space for innovation and people who are innovators so that they can anticipate what's going to happen next and even experiment with kind of next generation activities. We've seen um, you know, things like the Amazon Echo uh, invade our homes. Uh, we've seen iPhones and other smartphones, Android smartphones, um, become the portable computer that we bring with us all the time. Um, and yet these sorts of things have not um, become as much of a daily life of clinicians as I think they will. And so I think what's important for organizations that are, are you know, implementing health information, information technology, it's important for us also to make space for innovation and innovators uh, to allow us to um, think creatively about what the world could look like, not just about kind of taking the next incremental step um, because either someone else is doing that or, or because, uh, you know, we were told to by the government or incented to by the government. Um, we, there's, there, we have extraordinary opportunities uh, to significantly improve patient health um, and significantly reduce unnecessary costs if we leverage innovation. It's not just innovation in technology. It's also innovation in business model and, and uh, innovation in uh, workflow and how we think about the work that we're doing to improve the health of the patients that we serve. Well, great. Thank you so much. 